Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. Welcome to Millennial 625. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. How was y'all's 4th of July's? Uh, socially distant. Good. I, I didn't go Same. outside. I watched Hamilton. And that was it. Good. <laughs> also socially distant, Pam? Um, yeah, my 4th of July was basically a mirror of Laura's, but in California. <laughs> And we did record a new breaking news installment, and that is on Patreon now for Bay patrons, where we review Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. So if you want our thoughts on that, do tune into that. Uh, mine was semi-socially distant. So as I said last week, Pat and I went, uh, we were going to go to Wisconsin. We did that, went to his family's uh, lake. They have a private little lake, which was cute. Nobody was wearing masks, of course. Pat, before we went, was like, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm like... And be made fun of by all of your Republican family members? I don't think so. <laughs> so we, we, neither of us wore masks. I was I was meeting a lot of them for the first time, so I didn't want to be that liberal from the city coming in with his mask. And we'll see in two weeks if it was a mistake or not. Yeah, hopefully for, for their sake, you aren't some kind of asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. And then I <laughs> hugged his grandma. I felt terrible about oh, that. Oh, my God. Yeah. You hugged her? Yeah, well, and we went to her house the day after. What if this is like the kiss of death? (laughs) Well, I know. Yeah, right? I'm like a freaking dementor. (laughs) (laughs) No, but Pat was saying so many people are in and out. Look, it's not right, but so many people are in and out of her house. That's It's a mess. It's a whole mess. I mean, if she's already doing that anyway, like you're probably not going to change much, you know, by going over there. That's too bad, though. Saw some fireworks, which was good. From a distance. Those were distanced, for sure. <laughs> I wish mine were distant, like yours. <laughs> they were not. Um, I I don't know what the deal was out here or out in Southern California, because I had friends sending me firework footage from out there. But it was wild. Like, they shoot off fireworks. People in my neighborhood shoot off fireworks every year um, during the 4th. And they usually get started early. But this is like, this was next level. Like, I've never seen fireworks <laughs> like this before. And uh, my dog did not like it. I also got a little paranoid because it's dry as fuck out here right now. And we're going mm. into wildfire season. And I just felt like this was a recipe for disaster. I sent you guys yeah. a video. I don't know if you saw it on Slack of some really big fireworks going yeah. off in the East Bay. Yeah. And th- those did not look like the ones you buy from, you know, the Boy Scout stands or whatever. <laughs> they are out here. I'm glad you brought that up because there are actual theories out there that there are way more fireworks happening across America. I don't know what's going on. I've heard these crackpot theories about strangers just handing out fireworks to create distractions. I th- I just chalk it up to more people being bored and less cities are hosting their own firework shows. So 
uh, people are just like, well, I'm going to put on my own show then. I mean, out here, yeah. I, I know that all of our 4th of July, our normal 4th of July festivities were canceled super early into quarantine. Mm-hmm. So I don't doubt that that uh, played a role in more people buying fireworks for themselves but i just i don't know where they came from because these were like not your mother's fireworks you know i'll buy into the conspiracies the city of coming where i'm currently residing they uh still had their fourth of july fireworks display and they still had their fourth of july parade and they were like we're encouraging people to be in groups no larger than 25 (laughs) um so yeah if you just want to go and and look at like the new york times um, map for COVID cases, you can get a good idea of what <laughs> what cases are looking like here. It's not good, yeah. um, as is true for most of the American Southeast. Like yeah. I looked at the map today, and my entire state is either red or orange. Chicago, over the past month, there have been an absurd amount of fireworks. And past years, around Fourth of July, there are tons. And okay, fine, whatever. Like it doesn't really bother me too much. But the past month. There have been so many, and they ri- the sound ricochets down these streets because they're tallish buildings. And, oh my god, we've been spooked by a couple. And some of these fireworks have gone as late as 1 a.m., and I go to bed at like 10, 30, 11, so I find that inconvenient. There was one night where I was finally drifting off to sleep, and then boom, boom, boom. I'm like, no, please make it stop. Something else I discovered during the 4th of July holiday when I was staying inside uh, was the new Unsolved Mysteries series on Netflix. Have you guys gotten a chance to watch any of those? I'm not a crime person like you are. That's true. Yeah, I'm also not. It has to really pique my interest, but I might based on what you're about to tell us. Okay, so my mind was blown. So watched, um, basically binged the whole thing in like two nights. Um, but episode two of this series took place in Cumming, Georgia. And... I knew what the fucking case was before they even named any names or flashed up what city it was in because I lived here when it happened. So I recognized the the scenery they were using and I knew exactly when it happened. And I remember it all because my mom and I actually got caught in traffic Um in front of the woman in the show. Her name was Patrice. She disappeared from her hair salon. We got caught in traffic in front of her hair salon the day she disappeared because uh, Georgia State, like the police were like taking her truck away and the GBI was there like sweeping the whole scene. And we just got stuck there. I'm like 15 years old and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it ended up being this huge story um, in in the town, and it was always rumored, like everybody always thought that. Um, well, I don't want to spoil for anybody. Everybody always had a particular suspect in mind, and after watching the episode, I'm like, yeah, that's the person who did it. Like, hundred <laughs> so funny. But yeah, it was wild. I was. It's just like you know when you see something on TV that takes place somewhere that you've known your entire life. It kind of blew my mind. I was like, whoa, unsolved mysteries here in my little podunk southern town. (laughs) I also love that like small towns, it's like when anything big happens in a small town and then you read the report on what actually happened. Sometimes you're just like, yeah, they seemed like the type to do that. You know, yeah. that's happened yeah. here with us, too. Like we we had this crazy neighbor. His, we call him Crazy Dale. And he was really scary. But then 
Um, one day Dale disappeared and then they, they found him buried in the backyard. And we were mm. like, yeah, that, that seems legit. We we believe that his life probably got tired of his shit and just buried Crazy him. Dale. Yeah. At it yeah. again. Yeah. Nice and alibi, I mean... Laura, says Griff with a wink emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, I was be cool with my were... mommy. <laughs> it would have been cool if you were interviewed for this Netflix episode. Me and my mom were driving by. That was my only connection to it. But I will say my mom actually knows one or two of the people who were interviewed. Okay, well, I'm going to watch this episode. If only to hear somebody say coming Georgia. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many people I've had get in touch with me over the last week being like, I don't know if you've seen Unsolved Mysteries yet, but they have an episode (laughs) about coming and it made me think of you. I'm like, oh, coming made you think of me. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I always think of Laura when I'm thinking of coming. Just when you're thinking of it, though. (laughs) <laughs> right. I was trying to phrase that correctly. <laughs> uh, so since it's 4th of July and I thought news would kind of be slower, I thought that I should share some big personal news this week. And it's actually coming up quick now, so I have to announce it soon. So as I've alluded to on the show in recent weeks and months, I have not been happy living in Chicago. It's just not for me. I'm not a winter person. I'm not a Midwest person. I'm a desert person. I'm a Southwest America person. Um, I moved here kind of on a whim. I knew a couple of people who lived here. It was kind of closer to New Jersey where my family is. So I thought I would be closer, but not too close. I don't want to be too close to home. I'm not much of a family person. So I decided on Chicago and it's a big city and there's a good gay scene here. And um, yeah, I don't know. There were a few reasons that it stood out to me. And then, like I said, just a bunch of reasons I haven't liked it. Other reasons include I've had issues with this particular condo and the HOA. They're a pain in my ass. I'm done with the apartment living lifestyle. I want more space. I want to be in control of everything. I don't want to have an HOA to report to. So those reasons and more. And Pat and I have decided after many months of deliberation that we will be moving to Las Vegas, Nevada. Viva Las Vegas! I feel like this is the worst kept secret. (laughs) Have I said Vegas though on the show? No, it's just you've been talking about it for so long. You talked about the desert. Yeah, I talked about the desert Mm -hmm. Uh, last week with our guest. I spoke about if my my friend was moving to Vegas, was that a good idea? I know it's a bit of an obscure choice, and I'm actually feeling a little insecure about telling people this, not you guys in the in the audience, but like friends and family. They're just going to be like, what? <laughs> That's so random. Um, but there's a few reasons. For one, obviously better weather. It's very hot during the summer, but I've spent a lot of time in the desert over the years. I'm accustomed to that weather. I know what I'm getting myself into. Here's something that really stood out to me, and I just couldn't stop thinking about this ever since I found out. There is no personal or business income tax there. Immediately, I'm going to be making more money a month, and I'm going to move Hypable Media there, and um, that's going to be benefiting the business as well. There's also great home prices. Vegas is blowing up like crazy right now. Vegas is also centrally located in the Southwest, and I I love that because I can get to LA, San Francisco, Albuquerque, Flagstaff, all over Arizona, um, you know, Colorado, Utah, Southern Utah, one of the most beautiful places in this country. It's just, it's going to be so great for taking weekend trips and exploring and going hiking, which I love so much. Um, so yeah, all those reasons and others, and it's obviously a big deal for Pat because he's been in the Midwest all his life. So this is a big move for him, but he's ready. He's excited. We're both really excited to do this. 
The reason I'm bringing this up now is because I probably will be leaving Chicago in a couple weeks, and I'm closing on my Vegas place this week. Stressful. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to be there for closing. I'm going to do it remotely because I'm not flying out there or driving out there, then coming back here, then going back again. That is way too fucking much. So luckily, I can do it remotely. So yeah, you know, Chicago didn't work out. I don't have any shame about it. I met Pat here. And now because I met Pat and we have a good relationship, we're going to move out somewhere together that I would not have been able to move out to when I left LA. So it's all working out. What do you two think? Las Vegas. I'm oh, happy I you're think... going to your favorite place. Like not Vegas, yeah. but the desert. Yeah. I think yeah. it fits. Yeah, it I think fits. this this has been prophesized since we went to Lumos 2006. It's true. It's a you full know, circle is... moment. I had my very first drink, my very first encounter with a butt plug and many other firsts in Las Vegas. So why not retire to Vegas as well? <laughs> You're retiring. I mean, a lot of people are 30. doing that. Honestly, I know that people always talk about Palm Springs and stuff like that. But but Vegas yeah. is cheap and people like it. It is. It is cheap. Palm Springs is more expensive and it's just kind of remote out in Palm Springs. Vegas, it's got everything. It's got everything. And we're really looking forward to taking random trips to the Strip. I'm going to be about 20, 30 minutes from the Vegas Strip. If we want to see some great live entertainment, we'll always be able to do that. If we want to go to a great restaurant, we'll always be able to do that. Go to a great strip club, we'll always be able to do that. Find a great poker table, we'll always be able to do that. There's a lot of things to look forward to. Also, the first place I actually had a stripper in Las Vegas. Laura bought it for me. Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian. God, I would kill that to, to find that video. Every street corner already holds a memory. Um, yeah, and I'm really pleased to hear that you're doing like a socially distant closing because I know that I know a couple of people who like started buying houses before the pandemic hit and then they were stuck going to a closing in person. Mm-hmm. And that was really stressful and weird. So I'm glad that they're making like a virtual closing possible for you. Are they just going to mail you the keys so you can just... <laughs> walk yeah. right in when you get there yeah i was like so what are we gonna do about the keys can you just hold on to them and they were like no we'll probably lose them so we'll just mail them to you <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> we'll probably lose them yeah it wasn't the best thing to say but you know at least they're honest um and i've done a couple walkthroughs via facetime i've been out to the house like five times because pat and i went out there a couple months ago um and we toured it ourselves alone multiple times and but I've done an inspection via FaceTime. I'm going to do a, a home orientation via FaceTime later this week. So, yeah, they're, they've been willing to adapt to the COVID landscape. The house also has mountain views out a lot of windows. It's in a very special location. I just did not want to pass up this opportunity. And it's easier to buy a place right now. And I got a great interest rate. And I'm in a good position right now to to do this. And and with Pat in between jobs, and like I said, it's easier to buy a place right now. Um, there's just a lot of things working in my favor. So Andrew Sims, live from Las Vegas, coming soon to the podcast. <laughs> it is beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. The house. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. Well, yeah, you too. Duh, that's like a given. But I mean, you showed us a couple of pictures of the house, and it is beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's awkward. I don't think I shared it with Pam. So it wasn't us, but... Oh. You did not. I'm offended. <laughs> I'm quitting the show. I fucked up. Effective immediately. Laura was like, send me pictures, send me pictures. I'm like, all right, bitch. Damn, I'll send you I pictures. I love living vicariously through people <laughs> going through home buying experiences. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun experience for sure. Once we start moving in, that's going to be the fun part. And setting up the place, that's going to be the fun part. Right now, 
this whole transition period. It freaking sucks. But um, and I was also thinking, you know, I'm kind of going to be in the center of you two, of Jewel. The three of you can converge at my place. We can have a millennial meetup. From Atlanta, I don't really think of Vegas as being a center point, but I'll still come visit you. I I see your point. (laughs) However, I'm still in between you and Pam. Yeah, I yeah, I guess. (laughs) sure no i mean i'll still i'll still come out there just not during a pandemic i'll probably come visit you after there's a vaccine (laughs) okay Um, i'm serious on the housewarming card now i can't wait to come out there once there's a vaccine (laughs) love laura in two to four years (laughs) i believe all right fine yeah i don't blame you they say it should be out early next year so well that's great fingers crossed Speaking of COVID, let's discuss some of the latest developments concerning coronavirus. It's time for the Rona Roundup. We were speaking a couple weeks ago about drive-in movies, and I think Mark said, I'm surprised more drive-in movie theaters haven't come into existence with everything that's going on. Well, now Walmart is going to turn 160 of its parking lots into drive-in movie theaters starting in August. So that's kind of nice. It means I might actually go to a Walmart. But I have a question. What movie would get you two out to a drive-in movie theater? Like a new release or a previously released? Well, that's what I'm asking, I guess. Is there like what specific movies or types of movies? I would go for like... This is very specific, but for example, Almost Famous is is celebrating a big milestone anniversary this month, and that's one of my favorite movies. So if that was playing at a drive-thru around here, I'd go. Mm-hmm. I'd do The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I would definitely go to a drive-in for that. I think I would be most enticed by a new movie. I'm not sure I would want to go see an old movie because I can just do that at home. Yeah, but I just assume that like... I don't know why I would assume this, um, that new movies probably won't make their way over to these like makeshift pop-up drive-ins, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all that would be available to me up yeah. here. But yeah, 100% if they decided they were going to show like Wonder Woman or Mulan at like a Walmart drive-in that was near me, I'd go to that. Yeah. And that'd be so cool because, correct me if I'm wrong, but drive-in movie theaters, when they were bigger, they did show new releases. And I think part of the fun was it was hanging out in your car with a loved Mm -hmm. one or a family member and just enjoying a brand new movie. So airing an old movie, I think it loses some of its luster. Yeah, there's a um, out where my family lives in in um, in San Diego. There's still a a drive through that that um, still shows. It's like a real movie theater, except it's a drive through. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, it's still running. So and Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight, is about to publish Midnight Sun, which we spoke about. She's going on a book tour, and she is going to be hosting these tour stops at drive-in theaters. That's smart. She said, if we can arrange this as we want to, attendees will never leave the security of their own cars. I'll be up front with a microphone to answer all your Midnight Sun questions, and signed book plates will be safely distributed. As if this wasn't enough... Afterwards, we'll have a special screening of Twilight. (laughs) This sounds good. This I will go to. You drive in, you recline your seat, and you watch Stephanie Meyer at the, fr- at the front of the drive-in movie theater. 
Would you That's go to actually this a really smart way to do it. Yeah. I would, but I always have more fun watching rewatching Twilight back with my friends. So I would be a little sad that I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just, Make an it's exception just yeah. for the Midnight Sun book tour. Oh, yeah. And I thought you meant just like in general. I'm just assuming that this will be ve- very far away from where I live. So I wouldn't, you know, be able to go. Yeah. But. Universities also began or have started beginning to roll out plans for the 2020 to 2021 school year. Um, some notable schools that have put their plans out in the last few days are Harvard, which is looking to bring up to 40% of its undergrads to campus for remote learning from single occupancy rooms, and everyone else will study from home. The idea is that all on-campus residents would move out before Thanksgiving and complete their exams from home. I don't quite see the point of this, if everything's going to be remote learning anyway. The only thing I can think of is for those students who perhaps like have accessibility issues to internet or libraries or things like that, I can see why it would be beneficial for them to be able to reside on campus, even if they are studying remotely. Um, Howard University is also taking a hybrid approach um, by looking at which disciplines would require students to actually physically be on campus, thinking of things like labs and stuff like that, um, versus the disciplines that could be completed entirely online. And they also say they're going to be working to the best of their ability to accommodate anyone not comfortable with returning to campus. And they will also be providing personal protective equipment to all faculty, staff, and students who are on campus. And Princeton is doing kind of a split model where they're allowing freshmen and juniors to return to campus in the fall and sophomores and seniors in the spring. So it sounds like a lot of larger universities are looking to try and find a model that allows some people to come back. Mm -hmm. I think it's too early to decide what to do. And the other thing is none of these schools are lowering their tuition costs, even though a lot of people will be taking classes from home. And that's a load of BS. Yeah, Yeah, that's what leaves the biggest bad taste in my mouth you know um i know that some universities have also i I hear there have been talks about just um keeping people from out of area quarantined to certain parts of the university it's like well if i'm not allowed to go xyz places i wouldn't want to pay full tuition because i'm not i'm not getting full access to everything i'm paying for yeah i mean part of the reason you pay so much is for that whole college experience yeah i mean i I will say for people who aren't living on campus they're not going to be paying for housing which tends to be one of the more expensive parts of it Mm -hmm. and i know one of these schools i don't remember off the top of my head i think it was harvard um they were going to be providing a five thousand dollar like living stipend to anybody who opts not to return to campus so that mm. it can facilitate them being able to like rent an apartment or live or like study from home. Um, so it does. I, I think that a lot of universities are trying to figure out the best way to do this. But I agree. I think it's too soon to make a firm decision. I know my undergraduate institution said that they're not even going to announce what their plan is until July 15th. So they're wow. still waiting. Mm-hmm. I would just look at this and be like, why don't I just 
get a subscription to Masterclass and take classes with Tony Hawk and just call it a day. I graduated magna cum laude from the Tony Hawk Masterclass. <laughs> but I think you'll see some of these schools inevitably change their plans over the summer as this evolves. I mean, just wait until the 4th of July numbers start coming in. Like two weeks from now, once people mm -hmm. start feeling the symptoms of COVID-19 because they were at a barbecue in Wisconsin at the lake, kissing their uh, grandma, it's going to be a disaster. Or think about Labor Day weekend. You know, that's coming up and it's going to be the same thing that we saw Memorial Day weekend that we will see with Fourth of July weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think what also could happen is some of these universities will have people get back and then probably sometime around mid to late September the university is going to turn into a hotspot because like Princeton was saying that for people to live on campus, they had to agree never to have visitors to their dorm rooms. And I'm like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. No way. No. And you know, a lot of these kids do not take this seriously at all. They're like, I'm young. I'm invincible. This stuff isn't real. I need to go make out with my girlfriend. I refuse to listen to all these rules. Well, now it's time for this week in Trump Associates who tested positive for COVID-19. We have former presidential candidate and designated Trump black person Herman Cain. He was hospitalized with COVID after attending a Trump rally in Tulsa. Go freaking figure. And he was on Twitter being like, nobody needs to wear a mask. Don't tell me what to do. The next day we learn he's been hospitalized with COVID-19. Like the Rona heard him and went in. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> oh, man. I've seen pictures of like big crowds and then a screenshot over top of it of like a Facebook comment and it says COVID-19 likes this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also of note, uh, Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend tested positive for COVID after the Tulsa event. And she also may have exposed other top GOP officials. <laughs> Don Jr.'s girlfriend is in the Trump She's administration. She is a something. fundraiser. She was a Fox News host. And then her and Don Jr. fall in love. And now they're boyfriend and girlfriend. But here's what cracks me up. Don Jr. and uh, what's her name? I don't know. Kimberly. They fly out to South Dakota for Trump's big uh, Mount Rushmore event. Like an hour after she lands, she finds out she's positive for COVID-19. As a safety precaution, her and Don Jr. had to drive back to D.C. from South Dakota. <laughs> I fucking love that. That's that pretty a funny. miserable drive. That's like two days in a car. Did two they, very did they full days. let them stay or did they just send them back right away? I don't know. But according to the New York Times, they were getting in a car and driving home because they didn't want to put them on a plane. I just right. fucking I love that's such a great punishment. I love it so much. But I thought COVID wasn't a big deal. Why couldn't he hang out with daddy? That's a great point. <laughs> or honestly, I'm surprised they didn't get them a private jet. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, God, yeah. I love that Donald's so much. Donald's probably running out of money, so. <laughs> <laughs> get back to fundraising, Kimberly. And I also need to bitch about something very briefly. I think, I don't know if we spoke about this, but planes, uh, airlines were blocking off the middle seats to keep people separated from one another. And it made sense. And I think we applauded them to an extent. I mean, they still have to fly their planes, their business. Well, now they're they're already packing the planes again. COVID is not over at all. It's getting worse and worse. And they're already going back to packing the planes. So <laughs> to protest this, I am seriously refusing to fly anytime soon. They can go fuck themselves. How oh, dare yeah. they fill these planes again? 
I am not, like I said, just like I'm not coming to visit anybody until there's a vaccine, I'm also not getting on a fucking airplane until there's a vaccine. Mm -hmm. No way. The airplane seems especially bad because you're in a small space cramped next to other people for potentially hours. It's not just the two hour flight. The the air's just circulating in there, too. So you could be at the front of the plane and somebody in the back of the plane could be infected and that's it. Everybody's touching the same seats to make their way into the back of the plane, the same door at the bathroom. Everything is being shared there. And then you're stuck on the plane an hour beforehand, an hour after. God forbid you're taxiing for longer. Like you're on that plane for a good four or five hours at least. No, thank you. Um, also speaking of no thank you, this hit the news a few days ago. Young people in Alabama are apparently throwing COVID parties in which they'll invite somebody who has tested positive for the virus. And then the first person to test positive after the party gets a payout. Unbelievable. I know. And I saw I saw a lot of people being like, oh, these stupid southerners, these stupid hillbillies. I'm like, uh uh-uh. Think about all the idiots who had chicken pox parties when we were kids. Like this has been going down, but I mean and I guess chicken pox could kill you too. So Did you two have chicken pox? I did. Mm -hmm. I did too. Yeah, I think we were just slightly ahead of the vaccine. Because I know my brother got the vaccine. Yeah. I didn't. Mm. My my brother did too, but he still got chicken pox. So, oh, really? Kind of yeah. Funny. yeah. Well, they're not a hundred percent foolproof. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, COVID parties, and now a bunch of kids like, and I'm not talking like Gen Zers. I'm talking millennials, like people in their mid to late twenties are landing in the hospital because I mean, they that are knowing better going be enough to, to cover parties. all medical expenses. <laughs> right? Spoiler: It won't. Yeah. It's like no, fifty dollars, twenty bucks. <laughs> Yeah. ridiculous <laughs> oh sorry um, man also, i couldn't pay you i don't have any money in my venmo account um also speaking of you know young idiotic frat boys trump claimed at his fourth of july address that 99 percent of covid cases are harmless um and his own fda chief would not back him up on this well like yeah and he didn't just say harmless he said totally harmless yep so, you know, you can argue, okay, you know, the death rate's getting low. That's good, of course, objectively. But people are still getting hospitalized. People are still having trouble breathing for real once they get COVID-19. So, no, 99% are not harmless. And by the way, I watched that clip. He was reading that from a teleprompter. They prepared that statement. Um, and we'll touch on some stuff that <laughs> the White House also prepared in a few minutes here when we get into Trump's fire. But um, it's a sort of push back on Trump's claims that 99% of cases are totally harmless. The CDC estimates that the national death toll will reach 148,000 by the end of this month. Um, Florida actually hit an all-time record on Saturday by reporting 11,458 new cases in one day. Um, Then on Sunday, they had 9,999 cases. So Florida really is number one, y'all. And meanwhile, Disney World is still getting ready to reopen. Yeah. My My brother works at Disney World. He's been off for like three months building his Animal Crossing Island because he's bored out of his mind. He's worried about going back, which surprised me because he's young. You know, I didn't think he was as concerned, but he, he's he been thinking about telling his boss, like, do I have to go in? Do I have to train? You know, I so, don't blame him. Yeah. What's he going to do? And also um, here in Georgia, where our governor 
is totally cool to bring in a thousand National Guardsmen to protect, um, you know, the governor's mansion and the state capitol, um, but not require anyone to wear a mask. Um, he received a letter from 1,400 Georgian healthcare workers last week urging a mask requirement and the closing of bars and restaurants, which isn't going to happen. But, you know, it's nice that they tried. Okay, so let's move to Trumpster Fire. I feel like I'm conducting these. I know. I like this Old West theme that you have for both of these segments. We're in the like Wild the, West. Laura's background kind of fits the motif of oh, the, it does. the Trumpster Fire. Yeah. Yeah. We want to talk a little bit about Trump's Mount Rushmore event that he had on July 3rd. But first... We wanted to point out that on the day of this episode recording, the Supreme Court of the United States unanimously ruled that states can punish electoral college voters for not voting in line with the state's popular vote. This is significant because while it wasn't enough to turn the tide of the last election, there were a number of electors who attempted to place votes for people who weren't even candidates in the last election. Um, like, namely, there were a couple of cases where people who were from states that went for Hillary Clinton tried to vote for John Kasich um, and things like that. And that's not how electors are supposed to work. So to see the Supreme Court unanimously rule on something like this as we move into election season, I think is very promising. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Because if we're stuck with this shit, then it might as well work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Mount Rushmore. You have the inside got, scoop, apparently. I got some tea, y'all. I'm so, so excited. Um, yeah, I I cried when I heard this. Um, <laughs> so y'all are aware that Trump had uh, an event at Mount Rushmore on July 3rd. I did. Big event. Yep. There were protesters that blocked the road to Rushmore for a little while. That seemed to be what got a lot of news. Um, well, I have a contact in the events industry. This is so random. <laughs> and um, I know a lot of people. Laura has sources at Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <She's here> everywhere. <laughs> um, and this contact had the opportunity to bid on the show. They received the requests from the White House about what they wanted in the show. And there were some things that just really stuck out. Um, so the first and foremost thing was they wanted fireworks, of course, which they had. Um, just mm -hmm. to point out, Mount Rushmore banned fireworks displays in 2009 because of concerns for what it would do to the environment, wildfire concerns, as well as how it affects the wildlife. So that's just clearly a dickish and inconsiderate mood move. Mm -hmm. The next thing they wanted, they wanted to make sure that cool air was provided on the event stage <laughs> in a way that wouldn't blow the president's hair in a weird way. And so to, to me... I'm like, oh, so he didn't want that dead animal on his head <laughs> to fly anywhere. He wanted the Beyonce hair effect. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they were they were very specific about how that needed to be set up. <laughs> um, and and the gold mine of this request. There's a couple more things actually before I get to that. So Oh damn, what a tease. <laughs> the white 
the White House's general guidance for how this event should be, how it should be orchestrated. And I, I shit you not, it's verbatim. <laughs> they, they said, <laughs> they said, make it awesome. <laughs> make it awesome. No way. <laughs> totally awesome. And I'm like, oh awesome. my God, did he write this himself? <laughs> yes. <sighs> Probably. I want it to be awesome. Flying all the way out to fucking South Dakota. Make it awesome. <laughs> Make it like a movie. The fireworks. The best wind. <laughs> so the final thing, and this is just like beautiful. Um, the way that they wanted this to be orchestrated was they wanted the president to be um, on a sort of like platform they have where you can stand and like look across at the carvings of Mount Rushmore they wanted him to be positioned so that he was at a certain height so that directly behind him were the carvings. Um, Cause <laughs> so, I think if, <laughs> so that he would look like he could potentially be. Right. The, the, His head was right. on it. <laughs> and what they wanted, they wanted that, you know, him directly in front of it with Mount Rushmore as, you know, the backdrop and they wanted fireworks going off in the background of this. And they referred to this, this visual, I shit you not, as the money shot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Talk about two things I did not need together in one sentence. <laughs> Donald Trump and money shot. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So some photographers were able to do this. I'm sharing my screen now. I've been actually been impressed by these photos. Do you guys see this now? It looks like Trump's head is a part of Mount Rushmore at the <laughs> angle that they shot yeah, him at. Yeah, but like nobody wants that. No. <laughs> no, well, he does, of course. Did he right. ask, did he joke on stage that maybe his head will be carved into this someday? I bet I'm he sure did. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I I refuse to watch this because yeah. it just sounded so asinine to me. Yeah. You know, I hate to um, say this, a lot of these pictures also just look photoshopped. They do. Yeah. No, but these but... were from like the New York Times and stuff. No, I, I know that they're not, but it just looks like, you know, something that his team would put out. Yeah. Anyway, on a related note, I've been interested in going to Mount Rushmore. I've looked at it on a map from Chicago. It's about 14 hours. No big it's deal. a long drive, obviously. But is it worth it? Because I feel like it's one of those things when you see it in person, it's like, oh, it's so small because you're looking at it from a distance, you know, it and I don't want to drive 14 hours and then just see it really small and like I won't be able to get a good picture. And I don't know. Does that interest you guys, Mount Rushmore? Um, I have heard that it really does look much smaller than mm -hmm. anticipated when you go to see it. I think that's in part because you have to be so far away from it to really see the whole thing. So it yeah. makes it look smaller. So kind of like a Stonehenge situation. Yeah. You, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> in that case, no. I don't think I'd want to. But it does kind of seem like one of those things where, like, like that you should see if you're trying to do the grand tour of America, you know? Right. It, but so it's I just also it. like South Dakota is no offense to the South Dakotan listeners, but in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's nothing else around <laughs> <Yeah>. there. So, <laughs> it is supposed to be quite beautiful. I'm sure it is. I'm I will sure say in is. terms of just the, the landscape. Mm -hmm. But that's something else I wanted to talk about. So in relation to this whole like personal jerk off session that Trump had at Mount Rushmore, <laughs> um, there were protesters um 
that were led primarily by a few Indian or Native American tribes, excuse me, in the area. And it got a lot of news coverage because they blocked the main road that goes to Mount Rushmore for quite a bit. Um, Obviously, Trump got there and his event went off without a hitch, I think. But I thought that it would be good to look into some of this history here. And this might actually help you decide that you never want to go to Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Um, Because this wasn't just a simple protest against Trump. Mount like protests against Mount Rushmore are multi-layered and stretch back over decades worth of history and subjugation of Native Americans. So Mount Rushmore is part of what is otherwise known as the Black Hills. And it was built on land that belonged to the Lakota tribe. And this is considered sacred land. Um, The United States actually agreed in a treaty in 1868 that the Black Hills belonged to Native Americans until we discovered gold there in the 1870s and we illegally seized it from them. Mm. We then proceeded to blow the faces of four U.S. presidents into what we now know as Mount Rushmore again, which is part of some sacred grounds for a number of Native American tribes in the area. Um, The sculptor who was selected to create this monstrosity, his name was Gutzon Borglum, and he was actually known for his involvement in the enormous stone mountain carving here in Georgia, which memorializes Confederate leaders. Um, For that carving, Borglum was actually involved with the Ku Klux Klan in part to secure funding for the Stone Mountain Project, but he was also an all-around white supremacist. You can actually read some of the letters that he's written that substantiate this in a book called White Fathers. It's really fucking disturbing. Um, And so just to remind ourselves of whose faces were blown into this sacred land, you have um, Washington, who was a slaveholder, Jefferson, who was a slaveholder and child rapist. You have Theodore Roosevelt, who actively sought to uproot Native Americans out of their land. He also said in a speech in 1886, I don't go so far as to think that the only good Indian is a dead Indian, but I believe nine out of every 10 are. Then you also have Uh, Abraham Lincoln, who condemned 38 Dakotas to death by hanging in response to the Minnesota uprising, which is the largest mass execution in U.S. history. So you take these presidents who, when you look at the, the, the entirety of their legacies, they're made up of great moments and horrible moments. There's no denying that. But you take people who are representative of this nation's horrific history being oppressive to people based on their ethnic background, and you blow their faces into the side of what is considered sacred ground for people who were here before we were, it's fucked up. So those are all the reasons that are in the background of why people would want to protest somebody like Donald Trump, who is a white supremacist, going to speak here and promote that we should be maintaining these relics and these um, and these dedications to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And these giant faces are now looking down on this land that yeah. they stole. So it sounds like I shouldn't visit Mount Rushmore. No. <laughs> like Ten minutes ago, you no, two were like, I, eh, yeah, 
maybe you should. I mean, if it was something that you wanted to see for some reason, you know? Yeah, but now I would just feel icky. Well, I don't think that you have to feel icky if you go. I just think it's good to have an idea of what the history is because... You don't think this is at the museum, all this info? No, I doubt it. probably in like one corner on one tiny place card. (laughs) Right, exactly. And when you think about how we were all taught American history in school, they don't tell you this part of it. No. It's just, oh, four of the most revered American presidents are, you know, memorialized on this mountain. It's the same shit that happens here in Georgia. They don't teach us what... Uh, the carving at Stone Mountain means they don't teach us what it means to memorialize Confederate leaders so that they're literally, again, looking down over an incredibly diverse state of people. So it's just, I think, important to know the history of that if you are to choose to visit a place like this and maybe give it the finger when you're there. Um, But in a related story and a win, I think a federal judge ruled um, or rather ordered the shutdown of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. This was actually an Obama era fuck up um, where this pipeline was laid through Native American territory, potentially putting their water supply and wildlife at risk. And um, they've ordered that this has to be shut down by August 5th, completely emptied, and it has to undergo an environmental impact study Hmm. um, before it could potentially be reopened. Hmm. All right. Well, Pam, let's talk TV now. Yeah. um, I don't think there's a graceful way to segue (laughs) into this, but some of you may have noticed that you know, select few episodes of some more modern classic television shows have mysteriously disappeared over the course of the past few weeks on streaming services. And that's because quite a few bigger TV shows are actually deciding to pull controversial episodes, specifically episodes that uh, feature blackface. And I know that we kind of talked about this probably sometime last year in terms of Disney doing things like trying to erase Song of the South, but that's a relatively old title, you know, and you don't really always kind of think of this stuff happening for shows that we were definitely alive for while they were running on TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all of this, of course, is spurred by the continuing Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And in case you guys have lost track of which shows specifically are pulling episodes, uh, here are a few that we're all probably familiar with. So Scrubs is pulling uh, the episodes My 15 Seconds, My Jiggly Ball, and My Chopped Liver. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is removing D. Reynolds' Shaping America's Youth. The Golden Girls is removing an episode called Mixed Blessing. Uh, The Office, which I know we've all rewatched a couple of times, is uh, just removing one scene, and it's from Dwight's Christmas from season nine, uh, because in that episode, Nate dresses up as Black Pete after Dwight is insistent on celebrating his family's Dutch traditions in the office. And then 30 Rock as well is deciding to remove the episodes Believe in the Stars, Christmas Attack Zone, Live from Studio 6H. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with this, but I think that it's definitely an interesting move. And it actually was back in the news just last week because Mad Men decided not to remove its blackface episode. And they're actually going to keep it instead and run it with a title card that says that it uh, has disturbing images related to race in America. 
Yeah. So. And also related to this, though, it's a movie. HBO Max had temporarily taken down Gone with the Wind and then they mm-hmm. added it back. But with a video message at the front of it saying, you know, this movie is problematic and here's why. But to your point, all of these TV shows, with the exception of Golden Girls, maybe, um, these right. are all recent episodes within the past decade or two, for the most mm-hmm. part. So it's very awkward. And actually, other examples include Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's gotten in trouble for some blackface sketches over the years, and those resurfaced the other day. Jimmy right. Fallon, same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to accept their apologies when it was so recent. And then you look at something like 30 Rock. You know, these people you would assume to be woke, so to speak, and yet they were doing blackface not too long ago. So you have to look at them right. differently. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the whole thing, too. It's like even when you look at um, something like 30 Rock that, you know, like Tina Fey, for example, is considered to be fairly liberal, mm-hmm. you know, or relatively woke based on what we see of her. But she is part of a show that... um you know, justify doing this for a very long time before they finally decided to pull them very recently. Yeah. This is so. three episodes you have listed. Yeah. <laughs> from 30 Rock alone. Yeah. Yeah. And she was an interesting case, too, because when when she put out a statement talking about this, um, for those of you that don't know, the idea for these episodes was meant to be a commentary on TV's history of having white actors play black characters. And uh, Jane Krakowski and John Hamm specifically are the ones that are donning race-changing makeup. Um, so Tina Fey has kind of stood by this decision for a while. And now she's saying, quote, I understand now that intent is not a free pass for white people to use images. So, yeah. And I think that that is especially when I think about 30 Rock um, as an example for this. I think that sometimes white liberal people think that because they're making fun of racist people that it's okay for them to slip into racist tropes because they're they feel at the time like their intent is not to be racist Mm -hmm. it's to make fun of racist people but that's when you have to have the whole intent versus impact conversation um because it, it doesn't really matter what your intent was if the impact is that there was a racially insensitive image in your show that is hurtful by today's standards that's something that needs to be discussed right and my hope is that i think it's a good thing that this decision has been made by these studios but my hope is that these creators are open to continuing to have a dialogue about this Mm -hmm. um, and not try to like sweep it under the carpet and pretend that it never happened yeah you know, they should like, release a statement, even... each TV show. Hey, we're pulling these episodes yeah. and here's why. And here's why we learn that this is a mistake. Well, and I feel like, too, I feel like, you know, if we were to look back to a show like Smart Mouths, obviously we never did anything like that. But I think if we were to go back and listen to that, we would probably have some jokes that we thought were hilarious back then that don't land anymore. No. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it's. It's okay to acknowledge that and to have a discussion about why that's not the case anymore and use it as a growth opportunity and not just try to pretend that it never happened. Yeah. Or from an audience perspective, try to slam it in their face. Be like, see what you did 10 years ago? You Mm -hmm. idiot. I don't care how you are now. This is how you were then. 
It's all about how they handle it now. That that's a good point. I think my my hope too for this is a learning experience on the whole, right? And I I say this also while acknowledging that I I'm not well versed in like the exact demographics of the people working behind the scenes on these shows or that were working behind the scenes on these shows when they were running. But I really hope that it it just goes to show how important it is to have a diverse writers room because that's when you have people that that raise questions or or red flag concerns, right? When you have a writer's room that ha- is like open to dialogue and not just like one person leading the charge or is like severely skewed towards, you know, just older white men or even just women, like there has to be some kind of balance in there in mm-hmm. terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I will say... I think there is something to be said for keeping these episodes up and adding an explanation so we can see where these TV shows, where these writers, where these actors were at at the time. Because it is, I feel like I'm one of these people who's like, don't tear down the statues. But it is a part of that TV show's history. And they made a mistake. And we should be able to watch this and learn from it. Do you guys worry that we're... It's overcorrecting to a point that somewhere down the line, there won't be enough to remind future yes. generations of why it's important to keep yeah. uh, progress going, inequality going. I think that's a problem. That said, if you make this mistake again as a TV show host, as an actor, as a TV writer, you're seriously misguided and you probably need right. to be fired. <laughs> mm-hmm. This will never happen again, I, I don't think, unless unless they fuck up big time. Unlike back 10, 15 years ago, it was a fuck up, but they didn't realize it. And society isn't at a point where we are now where we can be like, hey, that's wrong collectively. Yeah, I I hear where you're coming from, because like when I think about the Mad Men example here, um, uh, John Slattery's character, Roger, he's a huge asshole Mm -hmm. in the show. So him doing something like this is 100 percent in character for the bigot that his character was at the same time is it necessary to show that in order for the audience to know he's an asshole like i think we already knew that before he did blackface right it's a shock value um, thing right kind of like yeah. with, with game of thrones they, it's completely different but you know they came under fire for extreme violence towards women in the first few seasons Mm-hmm. Um, and they they still suffered from that, but that's a whole uh, different conversation. But but it, it, I, I do think that it is one of those things that's done for shock value because it's not supposed yeah. to be done, and that kind of just makes it worse, doesn't it? Because they're knowingly doing it, knowing that it's going to disturb people. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, and this is actually something I disagree with Disney on. As we're like with regards to Song of the South, I think that something like that should be available for academic purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, because to your point, Pam, like we don't want people to forget. And I feel like we're we're quickly edging to a point where people who were born, you know, in a different time where it was known explicitly a lot of this stuff isn't acceptable might not have that kind of exposure. Right. So I think I would want to approach it from an academic context. Like, do these episodes need to air on cable? No. Yeah. But should they be available 
for people who want the ability to take a look back and be like, wow, something that seemed hilarious to me 20 years ago actually isn't. And I should explore why that is. Yeah, they should be accessible somehow. Maybe don't include it on Netflix, but put it somewhere for, like you said, academic purposes. Because Mm -hmm. how else are these people going to find out about these episodes? They can Mm -hmm. look back at The Hollywood Reporter and their coverage on it, for example. But this is to the point where like, we're almost pulling it out of the history books, too. To your guys' point about erasing this stuff. And it's kind of like the Uncle Ben, uh, Aunt Jemima Mm -hmm. situation. Like a lot of um, I think a lot of maybe younger people did not know how caricaturized um, those Mm -hmm. mascots, for lack of a better word, were even when we were growing up. And when the companies decided to pull their likenesses uh, from those products uh, very recently, you know, they even mentioned that they had tried to get away from doing that by. Um, making them seem more like normal sketches of people. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people weren't aware that that those are also um, like minstrel show personas mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. blackface era, which is, you know, part of our history. But you, you probably uh, can find some of those old commercials or advertisements or some sort of history les- lesson on YouTube. But I don't know what you do about these full blown episodes. Because NBC, in the case of 30 Rock, you know, they would just keep pulling it off of YouTube. Like I said, it needs to be accessible somehow. Automatically adding it to somebody's Netflix queue is probably not the way to do it. Just put it somewhere. I don't know. Where, right. What are they going to do? Make a website dedicated to all their fuck ups? Like, <laughs> there's no good answer here, I don't think. Yeah, it almost seems like there needs to be some innovation surrounding how to make this accessible like we talked about in like a historical context or an academic context um, so that people can access it without, as you said, shoving it down the throat of somebody's Netflix queue. Yeah. New app. Fucked flicks. All the time. Perfect. Writers fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All the clips in one convenient location. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to some feedback now. This is from Heather. This is in response to the conversation about how we handle ignorant slash bigoted slash inflammatory comments. It's something I've thought about a lot as a college instructor, especially because one of the course goals is to explore the idea of diverse language practices and do some work dismantling how white supremacy impacts our language use. Luckily, I haven't personally had anyone say something overtly harmful in any of my classes yet, but my colleagues have, and it is something we've talked about a lot as a cohort. When a student says something really offensive slash harmful, is the goal to educate that student in the moment, or is the goal to let everyone else in the classroom know that I am here to protect and advocate for them? So I'm curious what y'all think. If you were a student in a college classroom and someone said something that directly attacks your own lived experiences, something homophobic, racist, sexist, etc., how would you want the instructor to handle it? That's tough. I would, because just as the instructor, like, you are coming from a vantage point where you're you're trying to serve the needs of as many people as possible. And you're not always going to be able to do that 100% of the time. I think in your case, it would be really helpful if sort of like on the first day of class when you're going over a syllabus, for example, for you to set some ground rules with your classroom. 
Um, this was something I would do when I was teaching if I was, you know, working on something that could be a sensitive topic for people is I would try to get people to create some classroom norms together. Um, I would already have certain things prepared, like assuming positive intent of your peers, speaking with I statements and not trying to speak for other people, et cetera, um, but giving the classroom time to help construct some of those norms so that they can feel like they have a stake in what their classroom dialogue is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something like that could be really helpful. Um, And it would also, I think, set the stage to let people know there's certain behavior that's just not tolerated. And, you know, hopefully you don't get to a point where somebody does something super overt. Um, But if you did, I think, especially as it sounds like you're a college professor, you would be within your rights to ask somebody to leave the classroom if they're literally like trying to be a dick. Yeah. And I feel like there's there is a difference. There is there's some nuance there, but I feel like as people, we kind of pick up on the signals, right? Like you can tell the difference between somebody who's well-intentioned and ignorant versus somebody who's just out and out trying to be a dick. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's trying to be a dick, my opinion is they can leave. If somebody is bringing something up in the moment and it's really offensive to other people in the classroom, I think it urgently needs to be addressed right then and there in some way, because you don't want the people who are being inflicted by this to be hurt. I mean, just putting myself in this situation, like if somebody said something overtly homophobic in the classroom, I would feel like shit. And I would want the the teacher to stand up for LGBTQ people in general, not just for me. That makes, I mean, yeah, because here's the thing. Could you, in theory, pull the student that said the thing aside and make sure that that they're reprimanded, of course, but that does nothing to help the people that exactly. their words might have affected. And exactly. for all they know, you did nothing. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it'll feel good. I think a lot of the people in the class would feel good to know that their teacher is standing up against some sort of evil. Yeah, my hope is that the types of students who would sign up for a course like this would come in with positive intent. And hopefully you won't have to deal with this. But I agree with Pam and Andrew, you should be prepared for the possibility of having somebody disrupt your classroom in this way and for how you're going to handle it, whether it's just asking that person to leave and then immediately addressing the class and having a conversation about what happened. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. That's probably a conversation to be best had with your peers and the deans of your school. Um, But I think getting prepared for it is absolutely a smart thing to do. Okay, this one's a confessional. It says, I found out that I'm pregnant yesterday. I learned the hard way that condoms aren't 100% effective. My baby's daddy is my ex of just less than a month. And until two days ago, he was living with me due to quarantine. I had enough of him living with me and shipped him off to his friend's house until he can move south to be with his family. I've told my ex and my best friend, and I've been freaking out with both coming to terms that an abortion might be the best option, but keeping the baby is going to be what he wants to do. I'm conflicted on how to handle the situation. On top of it, if I keep it, he's not working, so I don't think he'll be able to pay child support, as I'm pretty sure he will still move down to be with his family. Damn, that's rough. This is up to you and what you 
feel like you can reasonably handle. Period. That's it. That's really like the TLDR. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. All right. Changing gears now. Let's get to some recommendations. Laura, what's yours? I wanted to recommend Ron Chernow's Hamilton biography um, for anybody who had a great time watching the Hamilton film on Disney Plus this weekend. Um, the musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda was based on this biography, and it's just an excellent read. So if you're looking for more historical context into Hamilton's life, I highly recommend it. My recommendation this week is the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix um, as a true 90s child. I was obsessed with the series when I was younger. And so naturally, I was curious. And I'm so glad that I watched uh, the first few episodes over the weekend. It was just um, such a nice little nostalgia trip. And I really, really liked the way they were able to make it feel like the spirit of the books made me feel when I was reading them, but also just updating it for the modern age. Mm. So yeah, I, I think that even though it's obviously geared towards a younger audience, if you ever read um, any of the books in the series, then you'll really enjoy checking out the show. Mm. I want to recommend just a deep sigh a few times a day. I podcast with somebody, not you two, not anybody at MuggleCast, who has, I've noticed, used deep sighs to just get stress out. And I found myself doing this more myself. And it actually feels really good. And Pat a few days ago was like, you've been sighing a lot lately. I'm like, because it feels fucking good to just let it out. And so I'm, I'm all in on it. I'm just like all day, every day now. I'm just like, <sighs> let the stress out. So let it out is all I have to say. <laughs> Some deep sighs. They feel good to me. <laughs> I'm a big sire and people always go, what's wrong now? I know it. it it sounds like there's something wrong. And honestly, like, yeah, there All is. All I say is, you know, I just needed to breathe. <laughs> right, exactly. It just gets some of that pressure out. And yeah, there is something wrong, but that's okay. So a deep yeah. sigh. Don't be afraid to <laughs> sigh out loud. I am so excited about today's After Dark. We have a new installment of MuggleSock, and it's going to be a good one, folks. The founder and former owner of MuggleNet, he decided to take a stand. He hashtag stands with J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling replied to his tweet, which is bizarre for a few reasons. It's another Stephen King moment, and I will explain further, but trust me, bring them up because I've got some fucking tea to spill. I haven't addressed this on Twitter because I don't want to contribute to Twitter. I don't want to call him out. I don't want to give him attention. But here, where people are paying for it, (laughs) where it's worth my time... Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial today. And we have some new patrons, right, Laura? Yeah, well, we did want to take a brief moment to talk about Patreon and just say that this week's episode is sponsored by listeners like you. You may have noticed we don't have any traditional advertisers this week, and the number of ads you hear through the summer will be more sparse than what you're all probably used to. COVID-19 has been impacting our advertisers, but we don't have to grow too concerned because we are lucky to be a listener-supported show over at patreon.com slash millennial. It gives us the funding we need to run this show, plus create cool benefits that are posted weekly exclusively on 
Patreon. If you need plenty of content to stay entertained while you shelter in place, we recommend our $5 support level to gain access to our flagship benefit after dark, the Millennial Variety Show, our exclusive Discord channel to chat with the hosts and each other during live broadcasts, and more. And we wanted to give a quick shout out to welcome our newest patrons this week. Hello, Tanya, Art, VP, Joe, Lauren, Sam, and Emily. Welcome. And we are so thrilled to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much for supporting us. And like I said, we uh, have this new After Dark installment coming right after we record this episode. Victor said, I tuned in just for this After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for tuning in, Victor, who sent that message via our Patreon Discord. If you want to get in touch with us about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. Don't forget, we have our confessional there as well. Also, do follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Goodbye. how this has a message from google get the latest information from the cdc about COVID 19 (laughs) (laughs) you know i i posted uh, for my best friend's birthday and i made it uh, just a stupid reference to corona and i got an alert saying that they were going to link to cdc resources because that's nice name checked coronavirus and i was like okay that's fine with me (laughs) by the way in this video they're all together there's like 10 people Crowded on a stage. I know. That's what I thought of when I saw it. I was like, maybe they were on a green screen individually. The joke's on us. They're violating quarantine.